Brass sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown. The fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Look at this, Pet Chat, the final one for 2017. Firstly, Cheryl Shaw, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mark. And Dr Dave, you're, you're finished coughing. That's not going to happen anymore. I'm all good. You're all good. good. Ready that's, to go. You know what? I, I'm not really happy with that Pet Chat music that's just underneath there. I think it's Christmas. Oh, it's tradition. We need, I, I know, but we need to do something just a little bit more exciting than that. What's that, Mark? Oh, uh, we'll come up with something. Let's see what we've got over here sticking around the back. What do you think of that? There we go. Uh, oh. <laughs> no? <laughs> uh. David's shaking his head here. He's, he's not too happy about that. We've got the dog singing Jingle Bells. Mark's brought in his private collection of music. I have. That's my iPhone. That's oh. my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Enough of silliness and shenanigans. Cheryl, what have you got for us today? We're going to be talking about some of the dangers with the foods that's around for Christmas. So some things are really fattening for us, but very dangerous for dogs. And Dr Dave, you've got a few things too. You might have noticed it's a bit warm today. No, it's nice in here. The air conditioning's working, so we're fine. What do you have yeah, for until us? Until the power goes out. That happened last week. Oh, no. Uh, look, we didn't get to it last week, so we're still going to stick with the topic of heat stroke in pets and uh, also a reminder about snake bites. Cheryl Shaw, just a week away from Christmas, what does Christmas look like at your house? What's the big thing? Well, it's a baked dinner, which is actually a problem to a lot of pets. Okay, so that's kind of what we're talking about today, isn't it? Sort of food that's dangerous for the pets. Uh, it can be a little bit dangerous for us, if you know what I mean, also. Too okay. much of a baked dinner is a bit of a good thing. Yeah, very rich foods. So what should we not be taking to our pets? Okay, there's a couple of things that happen. A lot of people who do make the traditional roast dinner don't think about what they're doing when they take that string. You know that string that they roll up the roast with? That string contains a lot of juices which um, have the smell and dogs are honestly attracted to yeah. it, aren't they, Dave? I love them. You love them. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just run the string through your mouth or something yeah. that, that comes yeah. off that roast. It's got all those, yeah, nice crusty bits on it. Yeah, but Lovely. What, what happens, sometimes people put that in the garbage bin and some dogs sniff them out and when they do yep. that, it's dangerous. I'd never thought of that. You hadn't? Haven't no. you seen this as an emergency? I probably have. Mm, yeah. No doubt you were off that day and someone yes. else did the surgery for you. I was real. at home eating the roast. That's and... right. But there's not only the string, there's also the problem of toothpicks, which are also, um, and skewers. You know, a lot of people do the skewered meats, put mm. them on the barbecue. The dogs just go for these things because, as I said, they have that lovely odour of the. Oh, it's the got roast. the food still on it, and yeah. they think, well, that is the food, and it turns out it's not. It's a big stick. Yep. So when you're putting that rubbish aside, make sure that the other things that you collect are your aluminium foil that's been covering the roast, also your plastic, so glad wrap is really dangerous to, to the pets as well. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things to look out for, and we haven't even got to the actual food yet. No, let's go there. Mm, let's okay. do it. Okay. Let's do it. Now, as Dave would be the first one to say, grapes. He's been talking mm. about grapes all year, just how dangerous they are. But we forget that grapes are sultanas, mm. and sultanas are found in all of our Christmas foods. So mm. you've got your Christmas puddings, your Christmas cake. Mince pies. Mince pies, yes. yum. Now, these would present a really big problem. And often people think, oh, at Christmas, I'll give a little bit to my pet. Please mm. don't. So, so what is it about grapes and sultanas that are not good for pets? Uh, it can affect the kidneys. Okay. Uh, they're toxic. Now, the interesting thing is we actually don't know what the um, safe... There is no safe dose. So mm. we, it's different between different animals. Some animals might take some and not have an effect, and others a single grape or sultana could be fatal. 
Wow. So stay away from those ones, absolutely. Okay. And the other one is chocolate, which we always say too. We don't know just how much chocolate a dog can tolerate. And obviously the more expensive chocolate, like higher cocoa level, is really dangerous. So we need to make sure that we don't give our dogs chocolate. And, you know, chocolate sultanas, again, another thing, that's a double whammy. So please be careful. And yeah, but if, you, if you're at any of our house, surely you, those things just won't make it past our own play. I mean, they're going to be the surprised. Yeah. The chocolate's a big one. Yeah. We we see always, always, always at Christmas uh, our dogs that have had chocolate poisoning. Mm -hmm. The other one, apart from the chocolate sultanas, is um, macadamias. Yeah, the macadamia nuts. Chocolate mm. macadamias. Mm -hmm. mm. And dogs love them. Again, a double whammy Choc because yeah. macadamias are dangerous to dogs as well. Yeah. All the stuff we're learning. I knew the chocolate, but the, the sultanas and macadamia nuts, this is this is new to me. Oh, Cheryl's got more. I yeah. know. I know. But it's it's great that you're learning this because mm. obviously there'll be listeners as well who mm. weren't you know, quite aware of it. Um, onion and garlic, these are a problem. And often we put those in the stuffing that we put in our turkey or you know, into, our, into our roast. So be very careful. And sage is a problem for cats. So some people use the old-fashioned sage and sage is a problem for cats. So some cats are really... Now I'm learning. Oh, good. So they're <laughs> sensitive to that one, you know. And actually, isn't sage what is um, considered, if you were a sage, you were a learned one? Mm, I, might, I might have been called that once. Yes. So sage and cats. Well, by your mum, it doesn't count, Dave. It doesn't. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. And then we go on to our rich food. So, you know, most of us love a bit of pork crackling. This can be really dangerous because these foods that are high in fat are very um, hard to digest. So things like your turkey skin, your pork, your crackling and your ham, you need to avoid these. David, is it right in saying that these can produce um, pancreatitis in pets? Uh, that's been the theory. I think probably what we tend to see is more gastritis, mm -hmm. a really acute gastritis. And to be honest, we can't always differentiate between pancreatitis and gastritis. Mm -hmm. And the treatment's very similar. Um, and a lot of people think, oh, it's just gastritis, you know. But that, that can be quite severe. Um, so you're right. You're best to stay away from the high-fat foods. Yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, bones. Don't go giving any of those cooked bones to dogs. No cooked bones, no cut bones. No. There you go. Yeah. Before uh, you go on, Cheryl, I've just yeah. received a message from our uh, reception there, and I'm not sure if this isn't from an actual caller or if it's just uh, David at reception playing uh, you know, silly games with us, but he's got a question. What about beer? No alcohol. No alcohol. No eggnog. None of that. No, absolutely no. You can buy dog beer. Really? You can buy bottles of dog no beer. No way. It's actually, it's <laughs> not, it's not an alcoholic product, mm -hmm. but it's labelled dog beer. And the, the premise, the reason it was made was because there was this guy who liked to have a beer and his dog liked to sit there and he'd give his dog some beer and someone told him, no, you can't give your dog beer. And he said, well, stuff that. I'm going to make my own. So, so it's, it's got like a, a beer-like taste, but it, it, it's, it's in not alcoholic. it's in a brown long neck bottle. <laughs> so from the dog's point of view, the dog really is not noticing any change at all. It's like, well, he's just got a new brand. And I don't know what it's called, but I know what I would call it. Hair of the dog. Oh. There you go. <laughs> oh, dear. He's on fire today, He's joking he? today. He really is. I've saved it up all year. But yeah. listen, if you, have, if you are having a little bit too much alcohol, often we go for the paracetamol the next day. Mm -hmm. Make mm. sure you put that paracetamol away because, again, you know, dogs tend to sniff out things and... Oh, wow, that's mm. such a dangerous one. And cats, actually. Yes, cats. Cat, cats and paracetamol do not mix mm. at all. At all. Uh, it, it's incredibly toxic to cats. 
dogs, we do use paracetamol as a pain medication in some circumstances, but the the dose range for dogs is so much more narrow than people. So the mm. largest size tablets that we have are actually probably way oversized for dogs. Yeah, so, so pop those packets keep them back away. away. Mm. The other thing to consider too, often um, we get a lot of visitors, people staying with us just dropping in at Christmas time. Mm. This can be really stressful for your pets mm. and sometimes we're not as vigilant as we are um, when we're just home alone. Doors can be left open, gates can be left open and pets can become quite stressed when there's too many people around. So consider what your family's happening um, and pop, maybe pop your cat or your dog away in a safe space. Keep checking on them, make sure that they've you know, got water and that they're comfortable. But, um, you know, the other thing um, is their ID tags. Make sure that they've got an ID tag on because if they are accidentally let out or, you know, they are opportunist, if they get out please somebody may mm. return them to you i guess as well particularly cheryl if if there's a lot of extra folks in the household and the dog's getting stressed out and there's the door it's psh, yep. off they go yeah. so you know microchip id all that so they can be you know returned safely yeah and the other thing just make sure um check when your vet's open because you know if there is an emergency you need to know when your vet's opened over those christmas periods obviously if um your vet's not open you'll be going over to see david and uh his crew? I'll be there Christmas Day. Christmas Day? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll have eaten the pork. Yes. And then I'm coming into work. Okay. After that. So hopefully I don't have a bout of gastritis. <laughs> <laughs> and don't bring any in for the pets that'll be yeah. in there as well. Alrighty, uh, we've, we've got a call from Rob now. Uh, Rob, uh, good afternoon to you. You're at New Lambton and you actually gave some ham to your 12 month old dog. So we're learning today, Rob, that's a naughty naughty. You're on Pet Shack. Good afternoon. Dr. David, no, you're not right, mate. I didn't give a hand, but we we have done it with a previous puppy, which seemed to be unaffected. But as I say, she's she was what six, nearly sixteen years old, and she's gone. But a near twelve month old one, and Christmas doesn't seem Christmas without a slice of ham for everybody at <laughs> breakfast time. And this is one of the the problems that we've been discussing is that uh, that kind of sharing and everybody there together and pets are part of our family. So it does seem kind of strange to hold back on some of these things. But uh, my advice would be to stay away from that ham um, because it is, uh, you know, more likely to have some fat on it that's going to trigger a problem. Even some dogs actually don't like the fact that the meat's preserved. Um, so the ham's been cured, and that can often be a problem as well. I think it's just safer to stay away from uh, the ham this year. Uh, the gang at uh, Pet Chat, that's very warm, isn't it, Cheryl, on Dr Dave? Mm, I'm glad I'm in here. Mm. And uh, it kind of brings us where we're up to at the moment, uh, doesn't it, Dr Dave? Because very hot temperatures, mm -hmm. the dogs, the cats, the animals, they, they, do, they deal with it in just as hard as we do. Absolutely, and uh, particularly with dogs, uh, we do see a lot of dogs that present with heat stroke, so at this time of the year, um, and, it, you know, habits, people will get out, walk their pet, and even if you get out early, I was out at 6 o'clock this morning, it was 27, 28 degrees, so I kept the walk shorter, stayed under trees, um, because it's not helped, because my dog is, if anybody's listening, I'll be, whisper it quietly, a brachycephalic dog a bulldog and these dogs with their pushed in noses so things like your pugs cavaliers um french bulldogs boston terriers all the bulldog breeds uh they've got the same amount of tissue in their nasal passages as a larger dog 
say, like a German Shepherd, but it's all squashed in. Mm. So there's less room for the air to move through. And because dogs don't sweat, they're actually moving air over those moist surfaces in their mouth and nasal passages as a way to cool. And if they can't actually move the air, then they're going to overheat. And they overheat quite easily uh, in this kind of weather. So minimal exercise. Didn't want to spill water on my computer. Minimal exercise um, and staying out of the heat. And even if you go out in the evening, I actually did a little Facebook Live video talking about this yesterday, and it was yesterday morning, and I said, you know, don't walk your dog maybe till 9 o'clock at night. But in actual fact, it was still really hot. Mm. So I'd just be really cautious. And I know the temperature's dropping tomorrow, but we we all know this is not the end of the hot weather for summer, of course. So dogs will suffer from this overheating. Their, their body temperature goes up over 40 degrees. The first organ in their system that's affected is their gut. So they start to get either vomiting and diarrhea. Sometimes it's bloody diarrhea. And that's an indicator of significant organ damage. And we know that from there, a lot of other things start to happen. So they can affect the coagulation proteins in their blood. And the way I describe it to people is, look, it's just like cooking an egg. You're changing the protein from one form to another. And it's the same thing that happens in their body. Those proteins change and uh, they're not working anymore. So now they actually run the risk of having uh, bleeding disorders. We then see uh, brain problems because they get fluid in the brain. And obviously you can see where this is going. Mm. Nowhere good. Uh, mm. They deteriorate very rapidly and um, left untreated or if they're out there for too long, it can be fatal. So early treatment and, in fact, prevention, absolutely prevention. So how do you prevent? Don't exercise your pet. If they're a breed at risk or they're obese, elderly, um, then you need to make sure that they're staying in a nice, cool environment, plenty of fresh water available. Probably even the idea of having like a little play pool for them to lie in. And a lot of people have been saying to me that they fill up um, ice cream containers with water to make big ice blocks. And you can even put food in them when they're freezing. And the dogs will spend the whole day just licking ice block to get to the food. And that's a really good way to keep them cool. Um, and also making sure there's multiple water sources. The other thing we do see is you need to keep up with things like tick prevention. Because if your dog gets a tick on a day like today and they're paralyzed they won't be able to move into the shade and so now they've got the double whammy they've got the heat stroke and the tick poisoning and obviously we're really going to struggle to pull those guys through um, so prevention's always the name of the game at this time of the year yeah uh, particularly when a lot of us sort of you go off to work you go off to visit family yeah. and the pets are still at home and if they're sort of particularly outside and a lot of this stuff is not happening they could be in a whole world of trouble yeah, and look, I've even seen, you know, people sweat. So we walk along and we don't really, even with a light sweat, you don't really notice the heat that badly, but you just look at their pet. And I've actually stopped on the street and stopped people who are walking their dog in the middle of the day and said, you need to go home and carry your dog home. Don't walk at home because any more exercise is just muscle activity that's generating heat and the dog can't get rid of that heat. How does that generally go down with, yeah, with the punters? Sometimes it's all right. Yeah. I tell them I'm a sage. <laughs> Fair enough. Alrighty, 49216216 if you have a question for the gang at Pet Chat today as we head to East Maitland. Now, Jeff, you've just got a, a 10-year-old Border Collie and you'd like to find out if getting the dog clipped is the way to go. Hello, Jeff. Yeah, am I on? Yeah, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, we've... 
Hey, Don. Uh, yeah, we, we do shed our, our puppy and um, every year, and we get a, a fair amount of hair. She's got a very thick, woolly coat. And we've just read recently people with older border collies that um, have been shaving their dogs and they reckon that they get an, another lease of life. Well, we've also heard on the other foot that if you shave your, um, the, the coat off your dog, they come back thicker and, and uh, cause more problems. So uh, we're just uh, in the dark about the whole thing. Well, Jeff, you've hit the jackpot here. I'll give you my answer and then we'll hear from the groomer extraordinaire, Cheryl, because uh, has been... W- Nationwide, Cheryl, you're like one of the top groomers. I'll give you my snippet. Okay. Shave your dog. Absolutely. Yep, there you go. Okay, there's a couple of things. If you've got an older dog, they really can't um, regulate their body temperature so well, so shaving them properly is important, but making sure that they're not shaved to the skin, which some um, people might do, you need to make sure that they have a covering over their body. So, again, it would depend on your dog. You'd need to get your groomer to have a look at the um, the coat, but I certainly would recommend um, shaving the Border Collie that's um, not coping well with the heat. And if it's got a very thick coat, black dogs feel the heat a lot and um, if it's got a thick coat yeah give it a, a shave it and, doesn't uh, make it worse does it doesn't, it? It doesn't come the, back the hair worse. follicle is a hair follicle yep. it doesn't produce more hair there you go mm-hmm. oh well that's uh, exactly what i needed no so uh, off to the uh, shear of the, the dog goes all right good job <laughs> good on you jeff thank you very much jeff hope we got, got some good advice there of course with cheryl being one of the nation's fantastic award-winning groomers thank you and that's just just with what you're wearing today let alone the pets <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! We what's tried. this dog you've got here on the bench? Oh look, this is uh, if you've been sort of watching the station through the webcam, we've got our Christmas decorations up. Well, this is—it's supposed to be a reindeer, but it's—it's it's a dog. It is a dog, and it's Randy the Christmas dog. So he's joining you for pet chat today. And did you name that dog? I didn't come up with a name. He's, but I'm, I'm keeping him at arm's length. Yes, as you should. Yeah. I, I was the one to actually point out that it's not really a reindeer; it's a dog. Betty, you're at Stockton, and your dog at the moment's coughing up a lot of white phlegm every morning and Dr Dave's going to have a chat with you now well, I think oh hang on just... it helps if I turn the phone on doesn't it oh, there we go sorry Betty technology oh, bl- <laughs> uh, Betty we've <laughs> got you now <laughs> how can we help yeah I've got a little Jack Russell um, it started off she had um, a few fleas on her back and I've got the fleas under control but she loses a lot of hair and she was chewing it but she's been coughing up all this white watery phlegm like real like um bubbly, you know? Mm. How old is she? She's only four. Four years old. Yeah. So, um, how is she the rest of the time? All right, through the day. This is just happening every morning. You know, I could start at about two o'clock and go for an hour or two. And oh, so it's happening during the night when she's yeah, supposed to be asleep. Yeah, early morning, like, you know, around three, four o'clock in the morning she'll start. Mm. It's very unusual. Um, and is it only just phlegm that she's not bringing up well, food or anything? Well, it doesn't look like phlegm. It just looks like it's, um, I don't know, white bubbles. White bubbles, know? yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I've got a very high index of suspicion to make sure we rule out the things that, that, that are going to be most dangerous for her. So the first thing, although she's not necessarily a breed or an age, we would expect to see heart disease. That's really going to be my biggest concern. Um, and it's something that I think we need to get her checked pretty quickly by your veterinarian because 
if there is heart disease there, particularly at that age, there uh, may well be some treatments that are going to help. Um, and secondarily, we just don't want that to progress at all. Um, we want to interrupt the the disease if that's what's going on. And there's some really good treatments that are available these days for that kind of problem. On the other hand, if it's not heart disease, then, you know, there is something else going on. The fact that it's happening through the night when she's lying down, um, you know, that sometimes points us towards uh, more towards one problem than the other. Uh, for instance, we'll see dogs that actually will be coughing or bring something up after exercise, um, and that may be related to, like, a bronchitis condition. So dogs that are actually at rest when they're doing this, I'm more worried about the heart and making sure that's okay. Now, before you go to the veterinarian with this, there's a really simple test that you can do to help them out to help make the diagnosis, and it's called a sleeping respiratory rate. So it's pretty simple. All you have to do is count the number of breaths that she has in one minute while asleep. Right. Okay. So that needs to be less than 30. Right. Um, now, um, if it's more, then we're going to be quite worried that it is a heart problem. Um, and we've found that the sleeping respiratory rate is quite predictive of uh, heart disease being present. So it's a, a very simple test. You know, obviously we can do x-rays and ultrasounds and they're all useful but uh, really to tell us if we've got a problem there, just simply counting the number of breaths that she takes uh, while she's asleep. Now, you might want to average that out, you know, do it a couple of times, but if you do that before you get a check, then that's one piece of information uh, that's going to accelerate getting to the answer for you. Right, OK, we'll try that. No. Yeah, and then get, get on the to, your, to check her out. Yeah, definitely something I'd want yeah. to get checked. Sometimes sooner. she'll go two days and not do it, you know. But well, let's hope we can get her fixed so that she's not doing it at all. We're just about ready to sign off for the rest of the year, I'm almost. Not, all this talk about Christmas lunch and dinner, really keen. Can we have one here? Can um, in the studio? No, well, we're not allowed. Technically, not allowed to eat in the studio. But I yes. can do. I can do one bit. One that's almost as good for you. Yes. Well, we had the, we had some dogs singing Christmas music earlier, didn't we? And Cheryl said to me, "Well, hang on. What about the cat lovers? That's didn't you?" Right. Mm. There we go. <laughs> no. Cat singing Silent Night. Is that a win? I'm glad you told us what song it yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Cheryl's enjoying it. That's one. Oh, that's so funny. That's one of us. All right, Dave, let's get a little bit serious. <laughs> Somehow, we'll try. Look, snake bites yes. for pets. This is this mm. is something that's very, very serious, almost as much as for us. Well, absolutely. It's mm. it's. Uh, I just saw a piece in a um, article, medical article yesterday. It's a hundred thousand people a year, um, and even that sounds a bit low. The die from snake bite around the world. Mm -hmm. um, we do know that in Australia we're seeing increasing number of snake bites with pets and probably increasing urbanisation and loss of habitat um, encroaching into those areas. Um, two things. One, in local areas here, for most of our listeners, we will see um, possible interactions with black snakes. So generally along coastal areas, certainly more around watercourses and so on. And I guess away from the coast and up the Hunter Valley in particular, we do see uh, eastern browns. 
as a, as the culprit in mm. most cases. And they are very, very nasty. So I know for us the browns are worse than the black snake if you had a, a choice. But what about for animals? Same. 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 The eastern brown snake is uh, that's, that's considered, the you know, probably in the top two or three of the most venomous snakes in the world, depending on how you measure that. Yeah. Well done, Australia. Well, well, we've got it all. Mm. Um, so we have had a number of case, uh, patients come in recently with uh, snake envenomation. And, you know, in most cases, we're quite successful and um, with treatment. When we're able to use antivenom um, appropriately, then we're finding, you know, we're getting good success. And that's one of the strengths of our um, health system overall is that we've, and the research, not, not the actual antivenom from people or made for people, but the veterinary antivenom which is made, it's essentially the same stuff. Um, we've got these great products that we can use. So the research is very, very strong. And for dogs in particular, we do know that antivenom will save lives. That doesn't mean, however, if, for instance, someone comes in and they say, look, I can't afford the antivenom, then we're still able to proceed with treatment. Obviously, our chances of success are probably going to drop. But again, depending on the... Um, species of snake we do see um survival with black snake envenomation mm-hmm. um if even if they may not receive antivenom um we'll see much better survival if they do receive antivenom but the treatment can involve prolonged periods in hospital uh you know up to a week or so and in some cases we've had dogs on life support on a ventilator they've had transfusions of plasma or blood um, as part of their treatment. It's 24-7 round-the-clock intensive care. Um, but, yeah, they can get through it. They can pull through it. So, again, staying away from the really, you know, those grassy or wooded areas and keeping a dog close by. Um, don't approach snakes if they're around. Allow them room to escape and now, allow them to move away. Now, that's a bit away. tricky with the animal. I mean, we, we know if, as a person, oh, there's a snake, I'll just stay away. But yeah. an animal is going to want, your dog is going to want to engage. That's right. That's right. So, and it's particularly difficult if they're off lead. So, um, you know, you just need to take a lot of care. Yeah, growing up, we had well, we had every type of animal. We had dogs and horses, but we had uh, this one cat, and it would all quite often go out and kill small snakes. It would actually bring mm. a snake. You know how some cats will bring back a mouse and drop it on your on your back door. We'd get like snakes that would be killed. Yeah. Oh. So that was charming. <laughs> Well, we, we we live so close. and Cheryl's I'm just freaked out by all of this today. Snakes. Yeah. Oh. Next year I'm bringing one in. No, don't, Next, don't you dare. Not, not a venomous snake. I'm looking out the window here at the university campus and, you know, it's a lovely... Don't worry, we're up a few levels. We haven't we're seen, okay. We haven't seen any snakes coming through the window. But it's a lovely wooded campus. And, you know, if you look around Newcastle, um, there's so much natural bushland very close to houses Mm. we do know there are a lot of snakes around interestingly um, we're involved in uh, a project that's run through the university of melbourne that's called snake map and we're actually now tracking where these snake bites are occurring and this is happening all over australia we've collected data it's been a couple of weeks since i've checked the log books but uh, we've got well over three or four hundred cases of snake bites around Australia that we're recording and I expect as more hospitals come onto that project we'll start mm. to see improved data so that'll tell us a lot about survival and treatment it'll tell us a lot about where these are occurring there was a paper presented last year that shows um, you know within a hundred uh, within 500 meters or something it was of a water course um, the risk of snake bite increases exponentially 
So snakes are smart. They like water. And if it's a really hot day and they don't have a natural water source, they may actually come up to your house and look for water. So on days like today, just be cautious. Yes, the snakes are out there. They're active. They could be out looking for water for themselves. Particularly if you've got swimming pools or even bird baths in the in the backyard, that sort of thing will bring yeah, them along. Yeah, or, or, you know, we were talking about heat stroke, having water out for your pets. That's yeah, true, yeah. And now you've got uh, the risk of snakes coming mm. into the yard as well. So just be really careful. And we've found black snakes and brown snakes even in inner suburbia in Newcastle in their backyards. Mm. Welcome to summer. Welcome to Australia. And and, uh, yes. and welcome to the well the end of pet chat for not only today but the end of 2017. Oh. So, Dr. Dave, thank you for your input. Thank you very much, Mark. It's and been a pleasure. And it has, and always, Cheryl Shaw bringing us all the goods week in week out. So, you kind of ruined Christmas for us, though. And anything that we're having for Christmas, the, the animals can't have. Pretty yeah, much. no sharing. More no for sharing. us. More uh, for us. Yeah, it's, it's, we're going to turn that negative into a positive, aren't we? And I'd just like to thank also Dr. Kimberly Earl and mm-hmm. Dr. Bob Stabler for uh, manning the mic over the years. We've um, worked really well together as a team and it's great to have them on board with their expertise and pet chat will be back in 2018 at the end of january so thanks guys uh oh hang on there you go put the microphone back on so you can say hooray cheryl thank you listeners thank you mark (laughs) thanks doctor all right thanks for listening to this podcast from 2nurfm at the university of newcastle topics range from gardening to health well-being pet care finance business and travel You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.